This morning's Old Testament reading is taken from Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their crier and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. I want to do something today that I have never done before, and I've been a pastor for a long time, and so when I say that I have never done something before, you know that it is quite remarkable. Uh, I, uh, I have never preached a sermon before about uh, heaven. And of course, it doesn't mean I've never mentioned uh, heaven in a sermon. Of course, I have many times, uh, every Easter morning, for example. As a matter of fact, at memorial services and uh, funerals, uh, I always point to the life beyond. I, I mean, I, I can't remember a time when I did not do that. Uh, I almost always ask love, uh, loved ones to claim this promise we have of a resurrection uh, to eternal life. Uh, frankly, I wouldn't know what else to say at a funeral, and I, I hope you know what I mean. I, I would not know what to say uh, if I could not talk about the future that God has promised to us. But the truth is, I don't think in, that in all of my years of, of ministry, standing in a pulpit, I've ever devoted an entire sermon to heaven, to what we like to call heaven. Sometimes, as you know, the word heaven uh, is nothing more than a polite way of referring to God's presence. Uh, think of Matthew's gospel and all those references to uh, the kingdom uh, of heaven. But, but today I have in mind something more than that. Uh, heaven, of course, means God's presence. Uh, clearly it does, but it means more than that. And, and that's what I want to get at uh, with you this morning. And, and that's what I would like to explore further. And the reason for doing it today is that this day on the church calendar is known as All Saints Sunday. The, the Catholic Church does not have a copyright uh, on a, a day like this. Uh, it's the Sunday when Christians all over the world, Catholics and Protestants, have remembered those who have gone before us. Uh, we sometimes like to say, and I've always loved this expression, we sometimes like to say that they have been transferred to the church triumphant. Uh, and in many churches, and this is uh, especially true in more liturgical churches, uh, the names of loved ones are read aloud. And then prayers of thanksgiving are offered for their lives and the rich memories that we still uh, carry around with us. Uh, it can be and, and very often is a very uh, moving time. Well, the other reason, of course, for talking about heaven today is that our New Testament reading today from Luke's Gospel mentions heaven. 
And I think it's important for us to see that the Sadducees uh, in the story uh, weren't all that interested in, in heaven. Luke tells us as much. And, and so the purpose of their question was to present Jesus with a riddle, uh, to trap him and, and to make him look foolish. Uh, but Jesus, as he answers the question, gives us this little glimpse into heaven. This is clearly a subject that he's thought about. He has some personal experience with, uh, with heaven. And it, so it's as though he has pulled back the curtain. All right, just a little bit. And it, it, it's on that glimpse that he gives to us that I want to build this sermon uh, today. Uh, and uh, as I discovered this past week, and it was a happy exercise... Uh, as I discovered the, this past week, as I prepared for today, uh, the Bible has a great deal to say uh, about heaven, perhaps more than, uh, than I imagined. Our reading today is from Luke chapter 20, and I have extended it to verse 40. If you have your Bibles open, you can see why I decided to do that. But Luke 20, uh, beginning with the 27th verse. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up the children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God. Having uh, or being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed uh, in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well for they no longer dare to ask him another question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, uh, as I wrote in my uh, pastor's letter in the last uh, church newsletter, I have renewed a friendship within the last month uh, with someone who is pastor of a church very much like this one. It's the Rabat uh, International Church in, in Rabat, Morocco. And I had lost touch with my friend Jack uh, some time ago, but I learned uh, when we reconnected that he has been pastor of this other international church for the last 17 years. And he, uh, I thought this was wonderful, he described those as the best 17 years of his life. Uh, But Jack said something else to me during uh, our uh, Skype conversation uh, that I did not have uh, room to include in my uh, pastor's letter to you. He, He told me about a group of Christian pastors from Morocco Uh, And in a predominantly Muslim country, I I was surprised to find that there could be a group of of, of Christian pastors, but apparently there are. And they had come to Switzerland not long ago for a a conference of some kind. And when they returned to Morocco after the conference, Jack heard them say, you know, uh, Swiss people 
are going to be disappointed when they get to heaven. And, and, and clearly what he was saying was that life here is so good. You know, compared to Morocco, that it, it's hard to imagine something better. So to some people, maybe not to you, right? But to some people, Switzerland, to use the words of the old hymn, is a foretaste of glory divine. To some people, what we have here and, and what we sometimes take for granted feels a lot like heaven or what we imagine heaven to be. By the way, I truly believe that each one of us, uh, whether we, I mean, no matter what we believe about heaven, I truly believe that each one of us was born with a, a, a spiritual longing. Some people, as you know, do their best to suppress this longing or even uh, to pretend uh, that it does not exist. Right? But I believe each one of us has it. And, and the longing, I think, can best be described as a longing for home. You know, for our spiritual home. Uh, we live our lives, and, and I, this is true of believers and non-believers alike. We, we live our lives with a longing for a place where we belong. And, and, and where we feel as though we are welcome. And where we fit in. And, and where people know us and care about us and love us. And I mean, this is nearly impossible to describe exactly because at root, it is a spiritual longing. Uh, American slaves who were uh, introduced to the Christian faith produced a, uh, what I would call a remarkable body of music. And much of it, most of it as far as I can tell, is focused on the life to come. So an example, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Right, and then a, a few lines later, if you get there before I do, tell all my friends I'm coming to. Or, or, or this one, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun way beyond the blue. Just one more, although the list is long. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, a long way from home, a long way from home. Uh, if you are a slave living and, and working in unspeakably difficult conditions, then just about all you can think about uh, is a, a home uh, that is far away from where you are. Uh, Christians aren't the only people in human history, of course, to imagine a life beyond this one. Archaeologists and uh, historians uh, seem to find the subject fascinating. I don't know if you've noticed this, but whenever they study an ancient culture, there's almost always a reference to uh, beliefs about the afterlife. So pagan cultures and, and the Greek and Roman worlds and even Judaism before uh, the time of Jesus had very different beliefs about uh, uh, life after death, uh, very different uh, uh, ideas and stories and myths. And uh, the only subject that they all seemed to uh, agree on was that there would be a life after this. And so what's remarkable to me is that early Christians, uh, beginning with the Apostle Paul, were very nearly unanimous about this subject. So from the beginning, Christians spoke confidently and, and concretely and knowingly about heaven. Right? They disagreed about lots of other things, but they did not disagree uh, about this. N.T. Wright, uh, Tom Wright, a, a British biblical scholar, one of the most important biblical scholars of our generation, has written a book recently uh, about heaven, interestingly enough. Uh, in, in case you'd like to uh, look it up, it's called Surprised by Hope. Uh, 
Uh, rethinking heaven and the resurrection and the mission of the church. And, and, and the purpose of the book, I think, is to caution us about this subject. And so I'm going to insert this caution right at the beginning of my sermon. Uh, Wright seems to say that Christians have focused too much on the life after this one. We, we have treated this life, he says, our, our present bodily life, as, as though it has no value. Right? And, and what he wants us to see is that what we do now, so our painting and our preaching and our singing and our sewing and our praying and our teaching and our digging of wells and our campaigning for justice and our caring for the needy and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, that's his list. We, we, we do these things as a way of building and preparing for the kingdom of God. Right? The life after this, he says, is not disconnected from this one. Right, but is in fact knit together. One prepares us for the next. Now, uh, w- one objection to a sermon like this one, or even a, a conversation about this subject, is that no one uh, has ever come back to tell us about it. Right? What do you know about heaven? Uh, you know, have, have you ever been there? And, and Peter Kreeft, uh, a Catholic theologian and, and philosopher, Uh, says that the best response to uh, a question like that goes like this. Uh, No, but I have a very good friend who has. Uh, He came from there, and he told us about it, and he showed it to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that's absolutely right. You know, one of the reasons we dare to uh, talk about a subject like this one is, is that we do have some personal knowledge Uh, of what we are talking about. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, goes into considerable detail about those who uh, saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. Uh, First Paul writes, Jesus appeared to Peter, and and then to the twelve, then to five hundred brothers at one time, uh, then to James and to the apostles, and last of all he writes to, he appeared to me. Right, and, and, and what I get from that is that this was no conspiracy. I mean, you might be able to find a small group of people, two or three, who make up a w- wild story and then somehow manage to take that story to their graves. But Paul is saying to us, we're talking about hundreds of people. Right? This is no conspiracy. They saw him with their own eyes. And, 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 and what did they see exactly? Uh, well, for one thing, they recognized him, and I mean, there, there was no mistaking who this was. When they saw Jesus, they didn't wonder whether or not it might be him. Uh, Mary Magdalene, outside the tomb on Easter morning, thought at first that Jesus uh, was the gardener. Maybe she was crying, who, who knows? But she very quickly changed her mind when Jesus addressed her by name, Mary, and she knew immediately who he was. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus were prevented somehow from from recognizing him, the story says, uh, until the breaking of bread, right? Until that holy moment at the table. And then uh, once they did recognize him, he disappeared from their sight. Now, I take that to mean that we are going to recognize our loved ones in heaven. We will know them. The, the, the story for today tells us that our relationships will be different. Uh, marriages and, and being given in marriage, as, as Jesus puts it, will not be part of our heavenly existence. But relationships will continue to exist. 
I take great comfort in that, and I would like you to find some comfort in that as well. Uh, two weeks before uh, Susan and I set out for uh, Switzerland, and for this uh, chapter in our lives, I, I stood at my father's grave. And I, I remember thinking as I, I stood there, and I, I don't suppose I will ever forget this moment, I, I remember thinking that all of the issues that he and I argued, argued about and fought over, all of the stubbornness that got in the way of, uh, of our relationship, his and mine, I mean, all of that will disappear in the life after this. It will be gone in an instant. Right? And, and I take great comfort in that. One of the most telling details in the gospel story is that Jesus' wounds uh, were visible uh, when he uh, appeared to them. Uh, I, I think you will remember this. Jesus famously asked uh, Thomas to put his fingers in, in the nail holes in, 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 in his hands and even to put his hand in, in, in his side where the spear was thrust. And you know something, I, I think this is enormously significant. Right? All of us have wounds. You, you don't get through life without being wounded in some way. You certainly don't get through adulthood without being wounded. And, and those wounds have a way of, of shaping us. They, they determine our identity. Now I can't say that I celebrate my wounds. I, I know people who do. And I find it remarkable when I discover that about them, I mean, frankly, my wounds still sting a little. Uh, but here's what I believe, and it's based on the, the, the words of Scripture. Our wounds, along with everything else about us, will be transformed in the resurrection. They don't go away, they don't disappear, but they are transformed. Right? See, I, even if I can't do it right now, one day I will give thanks for the wounds that I have suffered. They have made me into the person that I am today and the person that I am going to be in the resurrection to eternal life. Now, speaking of adulthood and, and maturity and, and so on, uh, how old are we going to be in heaven? Uh, uh, certainly you've thought about that, I have. Uh, you might be surprised to know that uh, medieval philosophers who clearly had too much time on their hands uh, uh, thought that we would all be age 33. <laughs> uh, which they considered to be the ideal age. Uh, the age of maturity and most importantly, uh, the age of Christ's earthly maturity. Right? Now, I enjoyed being 33. I don't know if it was my best year. Uh, and if that's the year I'm given, I will be very happy uh, to receive that. Uh, Peter Kreef, to my mentioned earlier, says that uh, he, he takes that age to be symbolically accurate, right? to be symbolically true. In other words, uh, we will all be fully mature. Right? Uh, even infants, he writes, who die prematurely will be given by God the maturing that they missed on earth. Uh, so how old will we be? Well, in heaven, no one will be old. You know, we will be a reflection of God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the, 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 you know, the beginning and the end, the oldest and the youngest. And, and, and just to give you an illustration of how this works, sometimes I, I think I see the wisdom of old age in a child. I'm astonished by the wisdom that children are able to speak, but then there are other times when I see the freshness of youth in the twinkling of an old person's eyes. 
Right? I, I, I think those are clues uh, as to how it will be one day. I suppose I can't preach a sermon about heaven without saying something about what we will do when we get there. Uh, I love music. Uh, I even love choral music. Uh, but I have always dreaded the prospect that one day we would be singing all day long in a celestial choir. Sorry, that has never sounded good to me. <laughs> it's never been something I look forward to. Maybe one hour a week, yes, uh, but not all day long. Maybe a better way to think of this uh, would be to think about what gives our life meaning right now. Uh, from the earliest times, and this cuts across all cultures, uh, there has been agreement that what gives life meaning are two things, love and work. And when life is rich and full and satisfying, when we enjoy contentment in our lives, it's often hard to know where one ends and, and the other begins. We were created to work just as we were created to love. When God put the human being in the garden, the, the human being was given work to do. So uh, work not only filled his time, but uh, work gave him a sense of purpose. And, and heavenly life should not be uh, too different, I would say, from life in the garden. Uh, work and love, so in, in, in perfect rhythm and harmony and balance. I would love to touch on other subjects this morning. Uh, you were being so good to listen to me. I, uh, I wish we had time to answer all of the questions. Will there be animals in heaven? Well, why not? You know, they were present in the garden, weren't they? Why not? Uh, what language will be spoken? I was raised to think it would be Dutch. <laughs> I mean, there was no question about it. Maybe I should get started now and, and, and learn a, a little. Uh, will we have a sense of time? You know, what will we eat and drink? What sort of bodies will we have exactly? Jesus says in our story for today that we will be like angels, but that, that, that just raises more questions, doesn't it? And there are many more questions that we could ask. C.S. Lewis was once asked if all of this talk and, and, and speculation about heaven was escapist. In other words, a, a bad thing. And I suppose that that's a fair question. Uh, aren't we just wasting our time this morning by talking about something uh, that we have never seen? Uh, aren't, aren't there more important things for us to talk about? And, and to that question, C.S. Lewis had what I think is a very interesting response. Uh, he said, the only people who worry about escapism are jailers. People who have something to lose in the truth of what we are talking about today. So is, this, is it escapist, uh, Lewis wonders, for a baby to wonder about life outside the womb? Is it escapist for someone on a long ocean voyage to wonder about landfall? Is it escapist for a seed to dream about becoming a flower? Look, we don't do this very often. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, I don't ever remember having preached an entire sermon about heaven. So I don't think this is escapism. I don't think we, you know, we could be declared guilty of that. Uh, on the contrary, I, I think it's important for us to know where we are going, where you and I are headed and, and what we have been promised. One day, several years ago, I made a, a call on an older member of my church, someone who had been around for a long time, someone who had served on every board and committee it was possible to serve on, 
And, and he was at home, and he was in a hospital bed, and in hospice care in the last days of his life. And in our conversation, I will never forget this, because it, it left a deep impression on me. In our conversation, I asked him if he had thought about the future. Uh, and I asked if he was afraid, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, without any hesitation at all, he said to me, I think that when you're dead, you're dead. When you die, you, you, you cease to exist. And of course, I was surprised to hear him say that. And uh, I tried my best to reassure him that uh, we have more to look forward to than that. And, and it seems to me that we ended up having a, a wonderful conversation uh, together, one I will always treasure. And, and we also prayed together. But I left that day feeling deeply troubled. I felt like a failure as a pastor. I thought back to all of my Easter sermons, maybe 20 years worth at that point, and, 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 and I wondered if I somehow forgot to say what our hope is, what you and I have to look forward to. You know, how, how could he have missed that good news? I felt so responsible. And so I left that day, and I, I still remember the walk to the car. I, I felt more determined than I have ever been not to neglect this message. Look, we are people who have something to look forward to. We are, we are people who live with hope. We are people, I mean, there are people around us who, who, who give in to despair, but we have an inner confidence, don't we? That one day we will experience something far better than this. Even here in Switzerland. There is more to dream about. There is a life and a place that will be unimaginably good, unimaginably beautiful, a, a life in which we become finally, at long last, the women and men we were created to be. I don't want you to leave today, and I, frankly, I don't want you to leave any day wondering if there is more to life than this. The answer is... Yes! Oh my! Yes! Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these brief words that Jesus speaks to us in, in, in this parable today. In fact, we thank you for all of the glimpses that Scripture gives to us of a life beyond this, a life that is beautiful and wonderful beyond our imagination. Most of all, today we thank you that in Jesus Christ you have claimed us and made this promise to us and that you have promised us many rooms within your house. We pray for those of us who are still doubtful that we can come to appreciate this promise and claim it for ourselves. I pray this in Christ's name.